All right, dear viewers and listeners, welcome back to Consensus Network. This is AuthorCast, and we have the legendary Bitcoin philosopher Knut Svanholm here. He's wrote two magnificent books, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined. And today we're going to talk about sovereignty uh, through mathematics. Knut, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm fine, thanks. Uh, great to be here. Uh, uh, and... Uh, Great to to uh, to have you as a uh, you guys as collaborators on on that. Uh, looking forward to collaborating on uh, in in future endeavors. Let's let's say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I'll just uh, go right ahead and say that your book was probably one of the first Bitcoin books that I read, and it was also the uh, the second book after Bitcoin Standard that we translated into Finnish. I really liked it, and I think it formed a lot. Um, you know, I base a lot of my own thinking on on sovereignty through mathematics. I really like that. It's also one of the. I think it's the last book that I uh, personally worked on. Uh, so yeah, it's a very dear book to me. So I'm happy to talk about that with you. Thanks, thanks. Great to hear that. Wow how 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 could that have been the first Bitcoin book you got your hands on? Uh. Yeah, I, I think it was released in 2018, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, late late I, I, 2018, maybe. It might be... Uh, or 90. It might sound weird, but I didn't read a lot before Bitcoin. And I, I really got into Bitcoin full-time, maybe in 2018. That was the, around the time. And 2017, mm. for sure, I was already reading a lot and was writing some you know, uh, stupid shitcoin articles and, and you know, whatnot. That's the path. <laughs> anyway, but it was only 2018, I think, uh, early 2018, that summer, when I really started reading books. And I think that's when I read your book and I read Saif's book. And that's when I got completely obsessed with with those uh, that information. And also I fell down the Austrian uh, economics rabbit hole, Rothbard and um, you know, Mises. Oh. So I, I haven't actually read books for that long, which might be difficult to believe. How how did you stumble upon it though? Because that was before it sort of got, I wouldn't say viral, but more popular. I don't remember. I I, I think maybe somebody recommended it to me. Maybe Thomas, who, okay. who was the lead translator. That that's probably how I got my hands into it. He oh yeah to, yeah yeah. He wanted to translate it, so I had to kind of read it to to see. Yeah, the, the Finnish translation happened really fast. I was yeah. I was sort of stunned by how 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 fast you guys were. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas is a machine. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Yeah, and yeah, we have a a great editor too, um, uh, Laura, who who is doing excellent job with. Uh, unfortunately, she doesn't have time uh, to partic participate in every single book, but uh, all those books that you can you can really see the the passion and the you know the love of the language and. Yeah, all of all of this just reminds me that I, I I have to get going. I have to start writing again. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask. Are you working on your third book? <laughs> I, I sure hope so. Yeah, I, yeah, I am. But there's not that much uh, material yet. Uh, uh, since some listeners might already know, I quit my fiat job and I'm trying to do Bitcoin full time now, or Bitcoin philosophy, or whatever you may call it. And uh, but I. I, I took the liberty of like having a a month off <laughs> from everything here. Yeah, for sure. And that month uh, has come to its end now. So now now is the time for me to like start doing stuff again. And uh, 
when, when you don't really have to, it's uh, a You need a sort of a a kick, <laughs> a, yeah. a kick in the behind, uh, and uh, yeah, may, having Jeff Booth over for dinner here has really helped with that. Like he he uh, he, he didn't like the idea of me doing other stuff than writing. He he mm-hmm. thought I should I should probably focus on that. Like we're gonna do the book first and do other stuff later. Right. So uh yeah, uh my plan is to take take that advice to heart and and really get going with this thing. And we'll we'll see what happens. If yeah. I get too bored with it, I'll make another video or record an album or like make a board game or something. I don't know what. <laughs> or just uh yeah, when the inspiration hits, you know, I I like to like when when is something that you cannot not do, like you can't stop yourself yeah, from yeah. doing it. That's that's when you know when, where to put your effort. In. Exactly, but then you come to all these situations when you can't stop yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right now, I'm really enjoying doing this Twitter Spaces, uh, like just improvisational. Uh, I I started Twitter Spaces every now and then talking about this and that and i i I get some great speakers on there and uh get to like philosophize on 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 a level i never thought possible like to connect with people and start talking about this really really deep stuff um so so directly and so instantly it's it's a really powerful tool and it's it's hard to like focus on doing other stuff when you can get so much out of just starting a Twitter spaces and having all these great conversations. Yeah. And to that is that I don't have an iPhone, so I was never in the, uh, in the clubhouse trench. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand. Uh, and I, I don't think it's going to be long for the world because if, if Twitter is going to make right now, the Twitter spaces are kind of buggy, but I think they're going to make better. And once you integrate Bitcoin tips and payments, I think it's a, it's a slam dunk. It's a really powerful tool. It is, and uh, yeah, it's hard to deny. Uh, yeah, and I hear uh, lightning strike. Uh, that strike is is launching in in Europe in one to four months. Oh, got something. Uh, to this is just a rumor now, but I think I have some pretty solid insider info, info on this. That's cool. <laughs> well, it's time, so uh, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's just a matter of time. It will happen for sure, and there will yeah. be others too. It's not just. I, I wonder how they'll uh, manage to do it. Tax-wise, but whatever, it, this thing is bound to happen sooner or later, and sooner rather than later, probably. Uh, I mean, wh- when you fall down this rabbit hole, you there's no way out again. And like pe- when people realize that there's a peaceful, friendly way to interact with other human beings, and that we can just uh, agree on a fixed set of rules, uh, so that we can have. Uh, lead, leaderless leadership or rules without rulers. Right. Uh, when that's uh, when you really grasp what that implies, which sooner or later everyone does, then there's just no stopping this thing, and uh, we, it it will change the course of huma- humanity uh, probably within the next ten years. I agree. Yeah, like Bitcoin removes the trust the third party so we can again trust each other so like for example i used paypal and i'm never going to use paypal anymore if i unless you know if i can avoid it but you know people really think that there's no options like paypal took three percent fee 
on the transaction and they locked up my funds for 21 days for no reason for like yeah. just because they can <laughs> it's like they can yeah, give you like, you know the banks can give you shit service and get away with it because people don't understand that there's options yeah i i i, I have a new internet provider here in spain and i i try to make a uh, monthly uh, transaction from my Swedish bank account to the internet provider in Spain, but it didn't work for some reason. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, yeah. People who try to send their own money from one country to another must be criminals. Yeah, <laughs> in from their point of view, and it's so ridiculous. And like the technologies, if you, I mean, I used the Lightning Network back in 2019. It was still the best. By far the best payment system, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, compared to the others, there's there's just no comparison there. Uh, you press a button and the money's there, yeah. uh, regardless of who you are or where you are. Instant so, settlement. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's mind mind boggling. We've been using since 2019 also in our shop, and now we're running our own uh, BTC Pay server. Finally, so so no more uh, custodial services. Excellent. So, should we get into the book? Yeah, sure. This is the sure, this is the book we're talking about. So, sovereignty through mathematics, and this is the Finnish version. Excellent. I I have that version. I can't uh, I can't understand a word of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, did did you enjoy the extra touches that I put in there? <laughs> the the ones about the moments and everything. Yeah, I enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> So who who should buy the book? Like who should read it? Who is it for? Why why did you write it? Uh, uh, this book is for people that are curious about Bitcoin and uh, what, what what the idea of uh, an absolutely scarce or absolutely finite as it implies philosophically and like for for the future of mankind. Right. Uh, so uh, it's it's sort of in a way, it's the, the Bitcoin standard light. Right. Uh, uh, even though it doesn't go that deep into monetary history, uh, which the Bitcoin standard does, but the, it touches on some of the same points. There's, it's, it has a slightly different angle, a more, more philosophical angle, I think, than, rather than an economic or praxeological one. Uh, or technical one. Or technical one. It's not a very technical book, so it, it requires no no previous knowledge whatsoever. Uh, I think uh, about Bitcoin, or about mathematics, or about sovereignty. So would would you say that it's a good book to start with if if you're curious and you want to start falling down the rabbit hole? Yes, especially since this is my full time profession now. I have to say that it's a good book <laughs> to start with. Fair. <laughs> No, but it, that's more more for you to say, I, I think, than than me. I I wrote it mainly because, like, my my my, my Bitcoin journey story is this: uh, I I took an online course after having been curious about this thing for quite a while. I took an yeah. online course in in 2016 with Andreas Antonopoulos as one of the teachers, and I I graduated that. Uh, it's like the the first course of a university degree type thing, uh, and 
I graduated that with the uh, top results and I had all this newfound knowledge and I uh, tried to uh, think of a way in which I could use that knowledge and uh, I, I thought about uh, like taking the whole master's degree course but then again I, I thought maybe why should I do that? It's better to just buy some Bitcoin and wait and, and do other stuff instead. So I did that and I started writing articles about Bitcoin. Um, and uh, I got, one of them got a bit of attention uh, about how to get a hold of your own private keys during the um, SegWit, uh, the, the Bitcoin Cash hard fork in 2017, August 2017. So then I thought, uh, like, Maybe there's something here. Maybe I could actually be a voice here and do something about it. And I enjoy writing these things. I was very bored at my job at the time. So I had a lot of spare time. So I started writing. And after having done that for a year, I, I uh, compiled the, the articles into a book, uh, mainly because I was interested in what the process of, of publishing a book is like, uh, or, or was like, uh, to, to self-publish. So I did that. And uh, then that was the book I had attached to my name on the internet. So when you, uh, and I wasn't really happy with that book since it had no like coherent theme or, or I felt the need to, to like write something more proper, a proper book, <laughs> uh, rather than just a collection of articles. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, so I had a New Year's resolution uh, between uh, in 2018 my, was to uh, to write a page a day for uh, for the whole year, uh, and then publish that whatever came out of that. And I could keep my resolution for 106 days. Wow! And then I got got bored with writing about the same stuff, and I thought the book was sort of done by then. So I decided to like. Let's just publish this short book instead and see what whatever comes out of it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I published a couple of chapters and and got a lot of feedback. And uh, it wasn't very uh, well edited at that point. Let's just keep it at that. So, so I got a lot of help from uh, from uh, from uh, a couple of other Bitcoiners. Uh, uh, really good help uh, to do uh, like polish up the language and uh, make it more accessible. Right. Uh, and the, the, the end result that came out is I was very proud of it. So, uh, so I brought uh, like 50 books to, to Riga to the Hard Baltic Honey Badger com conference and I gave half of them away and uh, sold half of them uh, through different means for cash and for uh, PayPal payments and for lightning payments and on-chain payments, lightning network being and it's the best way to, to get rid of the book, definitely. But, uh, and after that, it sort of took off because people seem to like it and it, now it lives its own life. And I'm very happy about that. And I, I didn't expect that to happen. Uh, not, I, I never expected the book to be translated to begin with or, uh, or to, uh, to have a, uh, any type of impact. Right. Uh, but there's more to the story about this book because uh, really? uh, a couple of months after that, I saw a fantastic piece of art in um, uh, uh, a little video clip from uh, from Miami on Twitter, 
and it was Fractal Encrypt's full node statue. If you have seen that, it's it's on the cover of my second book. And I saw the word sovereignty through mathematics engraved in this magnificent thing. So I DM'd, yeah, that thing. So I DM'd uh, the artist, uh, uh, the anonymous artist Fractal Encrypt. And, uh, I told him, uh, I asked him if he knew that my book, uh, had that title. Uh, what a coincidence. You put the, the same words that my book title on your, on your piece. And he was, uh, and he replied, uh, are you kidding? I listened to that book <laughs> while I made the thing. So, <laughs> so, and I, uh, so, uh, I was baffled by that, of course. And, uh, uh, yeah, so cool to, ha to have that in there. Um, and then, uh, the story go doesn't end there. It goes on from there, but me putting, putting that, getting his permission to put, put that thing on the, on the cover of the follow-up book, Independence Reimagined. And, uh, it doesn't end there e either. Uh, it, first of all, he sold one of these things to Michael Saylor. Did you see that? So yeah. whenever Michael Saylor is on a pod, he has this magnificent piece behind him. Yeah. With my book title difficult. on it. <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's surreal. Uh, uh, and, uh, now the latest thing he did was he auctioned out a, another piece called the Bitcoin infinity key. Did you see that? Yeah. I saw that. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's, and it's sold for over one Bitcoin. Yeah. I saw uh, that. Which that's is, crazy. which is completely unbelievable <laughs> to me. So, 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 uh, sovereignty through mathematics was really what's, what started the whole snowball thing. And I, I'm in the middle of this amazing, personal journey as well as like a journey where I, where I try to, I try to put my ego in the back seat because I know, uh, Bitcoin is, is humbling in a way because like you, you can really experience the, how uh, friendly humans can be to each other and how, how uh, what a ma magnificent way of cooperating we could, we can have to, if we just set our egos aside and help each other. Right. And, uh, I've been, I've been trying to help other people and, uh, I, I try to answer as many DMs as I, uh, as I have the time to answer and, uh, like help uh, people with stuff whenever I can in the space, because I'm so it's eternally grateful for, for what everyone has done for me, including last but not least the, you and your publishing house. Uh, <laughs> with yeah, all these later. translations and everything, it's yeah. So, so uh, I'm I'm helping out with the the uh, Swedish translation of the Bitcoin standard uh, at the moment. I haven't done very helping much out. Yet, but you're the editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the editor on paper, but I haven't done any that much active stuff yet. Now the raw translation so, um, is still ongoing, so there's not much much to edit yet. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see how that ends up. I'm very curious to see the end end result. I'm really happy to have you on board. I'm full faith in a project it's gonna be great yeah yeah and uh, i was on safe and pod the other uh the other week yeah uh, actually I, so I, I, I listened to it no excellent <laughs> uh so it, it's just it's surreal and uh amazing to to uh, to get to connect with all these mega brains around around the world and and uh, all the plebs with their hearts in the right place and and uh, their dedication yeah talking uh, about dedication focus I, I really uh you know 
it really spoke to me. I, I think uh, one of your books had in the dedication you are actually mentioning is that ever come across such you know hardworking, moral, helpful, kind people than Bitcoiners, and this is no. exactly what what I say. Also, uh, this is what I found. Like I've never in my life worked with. I've, I've worked with all kinds of people, but I've never worked with people like this. And it's it's just no, like no, I, no, I no, can't no. That's imagine. It, just another back. level. It's just another level. And whenever you meet one in real life, it's still like you're above so many social thresholds that you don't have to play this charade, this yeah. theater with, you yeah. do with, exactly. with normies. Uh, you, you can start at, at quite extreme points and start talking about the deep stuff instantly and skip everything about the weather and someone's, oh, yeah. what, what someone's kids, something about their school or whatever. You, you just get into the meaty stuff uh, yeah. instantly. And uh, yeah, uh, if the, the, the thing it, it does, it, it makes me feel lazy. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm I, I, not very productive. And that in turn uh, gives me a bit of bad conscience. Uh, and uh, because of that, I, I get the kick in the ass that I need to, to, to get going with the next thing. Mm. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's a theory. That's the theory, at least. <laughs> how, how does that make you complacent? Because you feel too comfortable with, uh, with the people that you're surrounded no, by. No, but uh, I, I'm so impressed by everyone else in this space and, uh, and the, the speed as, at which they produce quality stuff. Oh, I see. And, uh, 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 like Seyfedin, for instance, uh, who has like written two additional books and put up his website and, uh, like uh, is doing four courses simultaneously. And he has this cooperation with, with the Sailor Academy and everything at the same time. Like, uh, he's, he's fighting on so many fronts, uh, while I'm sitting here in Spain, like, Pondering what my next book should be about and writing maybe a, a page every two weeks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you, but um, you should never compare yourself to others. You should just compare yourself to yourself yesterday. No, that, that, that's very true. But when I compare myself to myself yesterday, I feel even more lazy because <laughs> I used to like, uh, the, the funny thing about this productiveness, uh, what I've noticed is when, when I had really too much to do at work. Like my, my, my last Fiat job was as a crew manager for an offshore, uh, offshore wind shipping company. Uh, and that, of course, that was taking way too much time from my life. Uh, so, uh, and when I had really rough, really stressful periods, I sort of relaxed, uh, by, by setting that aside for a while and just started writing about Bitcoin instead. Mm -hmm. So the more I had to do, uh, the more productive I, I could be with my hobbies, which is sort of counterintuitive, right? You mm -hmm. think that if you have all the time in the world on your hands, you can be as creative, uh, you can be uh, like infinitely creative, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. When, when you have too little to do, you get sort of la lazy and like, uh, you, you think I could do that tomorrow. But then there's another thing to be said for creativity, because you sort of need to be in a headspace where, where you're not focusing on being productive or not focusing on being, you need like 
you need to be really relaxed and be able to play with your thoughts in, o- in order to, uh, to get the really good ideas, I, I think. Yeah, it's anyway, true. Yeah. Anyway, we're a bit off topic. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we went uh, on, a, on a bit of a detour there, but that's good because your books are about, all about the philosophy. And, it's, you know, I like these philosophical conversations a lot. But yeah, uh, yeah let's get back, back on track here. And, you know, what, what would you say are the correlations people can get from your book once, once they put the book down? What do you think is the last things on their mind? I mean, it's been a while since I wrote it. Um, uh, I, I think that I, I'm very proud of the first chapter, uh, called everything a trade. And we turned that into a little video as well. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah. The, so feel free to share that video. Yeah, we'll, we'll put, definitely uh, put, put your videos in the description here. Yeah. And, 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 and that is a chapter I wrote way before I read any Mises or, or Rothbard or anything. Uh, and I'm quite proud of having come to the same conclusions as them without having read them first. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's about how, how everything we do is a trade. Uh, it's a, we trade with ourselves and our own time and we trade with other people. Uh, so, uh, so that is like, that's what the book begin. That's how the book begins. Like first, first laying out the foundation that everything we do is a trade. And that because I, I think it's much easier to, to understand why, why money is such a powerful tool once so needed in society. If you, if you, if you view everything as a trade. Yeah. Like we this conversation we're having now is a trade. Uh, you want it for your, for your, uh, for your publishing house. And I want it for my. Uh, reputation or whatever. Uh, and we might, we both, I, I think we both feel that we might stumble upon an idea that we haven't had before. Right. During the conversation. Yeah. So it's, it's worth the trade off both with each other and with our future selves. Yeah. And, th- and that's why we do it. We, we, we might as well spend our time doing something else. But we choose to allocate this hour to, to talking to each other. And we do that because we trade, we, we, we're involved in voluntary trade with each other. We trade words and ideas with each other as we speak. Yep. Uh, and if you start looking at the world, uh, from that angle, uh, it's, it's much easier to understand why, why this, this, this is the civilized way of doing stuff. Exactly. The, the other, the other option, um, uh, the other option, humans have for resolving conflict. And this is an, an idea I got from the, from the new atheist movements mainly, I think is that we have two ways of resolving conflict. The one, one is speech when we, uh, exchange information with each other. And the other is violence when we, when we use force to take stuff from, the, from our fellow man. Yeah. And if you, if you prefer the nonviolent way, there's really no option to, to trading because trading is the, the, the nonviolent way. Uh, and it's beneficial for everyone involved in it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, in the fiat world, we have this, this kind of like coercive trades also. Like you said, everything is an exchange. And, you know, like what, yeah. what Mises and Rothbard writes is that a trade in a, in a free market, uh, 
free and voluntary trade uh, will not take place un unless both parties to the trade are expecting higher return ex ante, which means that for the trade, they have a positive out outlook for the trade and then ex post, which means after the trade, uh, you may change your mind and you may find that the trade was actually not worth it. And then later you will, you will remember that, but that's only afterwards. So all the trade that happens in voluntary world must be uh, yeah. approved by both parties, which is sadly not the case in a lot of exchanges in the fiat world. Yeah, in uh, all all trades in in the fiat world are somewhat diluted by by uh, the the price signals and everything being distorted by interventionism. Yep, and uh, involuntary stuff like taxes and inflation mm -hmm. and all the rest, all of the uh, interventionism in markets. And we should also uh, remember that a a trade that didn't go as well as you thought at it would so that you you expected it to be more beneficial to you than it actually was like a kid buying uh, a new toy and the toy turned out to be boring after two hours mm -hmm. uh that is not without value failing is very valuable because it teaches you to to make better decisions in the future mm -hmm. and it's the only mechanism we have to error correct is right. if if error if errors have have a cost to them then w then we get some value out of them because if they have a cost to them we learn something from our mistakes and we are less likely to make the same mistake again yep and this is why i think bailouts regardless of if, if it's bank bailouts or bailouts of people living off social security or whatever is always bad in the long run because people will not learn their lesson and they won't change their behavior so they will keep on to keep on acting in harmful ways harmful to themselves first and foremost but harmful to society uh, uh also uh, so uh so we we must remember that in a free market society you either both parties benefits or one party benefits and the other party learns a lesson or both parties learn a lesson. Uh, but there's never, there's never a, a, a net negative, uh, from a trade, from a trade in that sense. Yeah. Very true. It's like the pain, pain signal mechanism. Like if a toddler burns their hand on a hot plate, it gives you right away a signal that don't do that. It's a very bad idea and it gives you a feedback, but like yeah, these yes. bank bailouts, there's no pain. So. They can just keep destroying themselves uh, with no consequences, and it's going to reflect very badly for the whole world. Yeah, and like if <laughs> if you're getting paid every month for behaving destructively, like sitting on your bum and doing nothing and s smoking weed all day, playing playing PlayStation and not being productive. If you never get uh, uh, punished for that, uh, you will. You're more likely to keep on doing it. Yep. So it's effect. So what 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 you're effectively doing when you when you give out money to people that haven't earned that money is it's the same thing as giving them a payment for putting their hand into a toaster yeah, every month. Exactly. So it's uh, they will keep on doing, keep on being destructive to themselves. Um, uh, uh, the continuation of that, which is the rest of society. 
Yeah, and it's a vicious cycle too, because then there's cognitive dissonance. Like pe- we people, we don't like blaming ourselves. We don't like necessarily, at least a lot of people don't like taking the personal responsibility and looking in the mirror and saying, look, uh, you done goofed and this is your fault and you gotta pull yourself together. <laughs> you would rather believe that it's, uh, you know, it's those uh, greedy Bitcoiners, they did this to the economy. I, I think this is going to be a popular narrative, even though it's completely irrational. Uh, uh, however, truth has never been on the, you know, high on the market rather than comforting lies. This has been true throughout human history, I think. We will always go for the comforting lies rather than the ugly truth. Yeah, but Bitcoin is, is, is flipping, flipping or flipping that as we speak. Yeah. It's, it's make, it may, it's making truth say, uh, it, it's advertising for truth every day. Yeah, it's going to make truth sexy and yeah. safe sexy, but it's going to piss yeah. off a lot of people. Like before you see the yeah. light, uh, before you see the truth, it's going to piss you off. I think yeah. somebody said. Yeah, I think so. And of course, bailouts are even worse when it's uh, politicians and and people in big institutions and banks and stuff that get these parachute deals and uh, like. Uh, when there's no consequences to to being a bad leader. Uh, you, you will have bad decisions. Uh, it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, company CEO constantly making bad decisions and getting bailed out by, you know, gov- government subsidies. It, essentially, yeah. there's, I think there's a lot of zombie companies like this who operate bas- basically on the, they are in the pocket of the, of the government subsidies. The same as the people really like. It's so ar- ironic that they have these signs in the parks that, you know, uh, or, or in the zoo rather to not, not to, you know, feed the animals to make them dependent. And mm. that is exactly what we do in so-called, uh, welfare countries, which I don't think we're faring that well. No, that's a very good analogy. Like you shouldn't, the, the, the first animal you shouldn't feed is the human being. Because it's, it's capable of feeding itself. Exactly. It's just, uh, but w- some people think we aren't capable of feeding ourselves, but that's because of everything getting stolen from us on a daily basis. Uh, inflation is everywhere. And the, the only source for inflation is money printing. Like the more money there is in circulation, the more debt there is in circulation and the more inflation there is so uh, so and and by the way being stolen if you if you have your stuff stolen from you uh you lower uh, your your time preference gets higher because if you have everything you own is stolen from you your first your, your priority becomes how do i feed myself mm-hmm. uh where do i get shel- where where can i seek shelter and survive and where do I find food? And the more capital you have, the uh, the more you can afford to to think ahead uh, and have a lower time preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you get if if you uh, if a highway robber steals stuff from you, your 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 time preference increases temporarily because you will take measures. Uh, you, you learn from that mistake and you, you, uh, maybe you, uh, like spend some money on personal security 
or take a jujitsu class or whatever. Uh, but, but you try to make sure that that will happen to you again. Mm-hmm. But if, if, but, but the same thing is true for taxes and inflation, which happens to you all the time. Your, your time preference is inevitably heightened. So, so you make more and more short term decisions, the more money they take from you and your capability of long term thinking diminishes. And, uh, the only thing that can put a be- put an end to that today is Bitcoin, because it's the only thing that is guaranteed to keep its value over time, or at least keep its being this part of the 21 million over time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing idea. Yeah. It's, that's the crux. Like, uh, I remember the time when I was still, uh, uh, assimilating in the fiat clown world which is most of my life. And I didn't know why everything was shit. I didn't understand why I had high time preference and why it was destructive. I just thought this is the life. This is how everybody else is living. And then it was only after discovering Bitcoin and really learning about it that I realized. And then once you see it, it's like unplugging from matrix. You you cannot unsee it. You cannot eradicate the idea from your brain once it's taken root. And I think this is the crux that if more people can understand that not just the nuts and bolts and technicalities of Bitcoin, but what it imp- implies for humanity and human development. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's why we are eager to spread the message because right. we want to help other people and, uh, Bitcoin will help them in the same way it helped us. Uh, uh it, it helps us not only by securing us financially, but it helps us lower our time preference and be more wise, mm-hmm. uh, make wise decisions that, that last longer. Yeah. And not be wasted. And uh, yeah, um, that's the only way we can save the planet if there's a climate problem. Yeah. Uh, not taking any stance here. I'm just <laughs> saying that if, if we want to solve a problem, we need to, we need to solve the problem long-term. We can't, we can't fix a cancer with a bandaid. Uh, you can't cure cancer with a bandaid, which, which is what politicians try to do all the time. They try to, they, they see the problem and they try to fix it by putting a bandaid on it and it won't work because it's not, it's, it's not a scratch on the surface. It's a cancer growing, growing underneath the surface. So, uh, and that's what right. we need to fix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's dig into that a little bit because uh, there's a there's a concept called financial atheism in the book, and uh, yeah, you know, I feel like people have always wanted to pay the high priests some kind of uh, fee to get into the heaven. So essentially, yeah. this is what we have now. We have state religion, right? And the state dictates what we need to do. Like, okay, we need to fix the weather, so give us some money, we'll fix the weather. People are eager to believe yeah. that because that's the easy way out. Okay, we just give someone, I don't have to think about that. So I think it's, a, yeah. we, religion has played a big role in human history and now it's no different. It's just that we call it the science or, you know, statism or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Uh, I, I think uh, my views have changed on this subject somewhat, uh, but uh, I, I still want to, to push this mes- message, uh, because I, I believe this, there are many Bitcoiners that find a new meaning in it and they, they, uh, attach re- religious ideas to it. And 
I, I think there's a danger to that that many people miss. Uh, I view statism as another religion, and uh, nowadays I view it as probably the worst one yet. Uh, and this is because, yeah, I, I've, I've done some more work uh, on the subject after I wrote that chapter in the book, and that that is mainly one video, uh, a video called uh, "The Separation of Church and State," which was an article for Bitcoin Magazine I wrote a couple of months back. And the idea is that the the central banks have have taken over from the the churches and the the the, the people that in the past promised you a a better life in the afterlife are not there anymore. But but there are other forces promising you a better life here and now if you acted a certain way. And that's even more dangerous in a way because it leads to even more short term decisions. Uh, and as, as I write in that chapter, uh, every time a civilization inv invents a ceremonial burial, they expand. And why is this? It's because ceremonial burial is always attached to the idea of an afterlife. Mm -hmm. And when you can fool people that there's an afterlife, uh, you, you can make them do atrocious things to each other, like kill this neighboring tribe and you will get to heaven. If you don't, you'll get go to hell. Mm -hmm. So. So I believe the very idea of worshiping a higher power is at the roots of many of our problems. It's that idea of, of something being omnipotent or something better happening if we act in a certain way, which is not attached to reality necessarily. So that, that thought in itself is a dangerous thought because that is the thought that enables all of these psychopaths to rule over us. Mm -hmm. I mean, from natural law and, and, and first principles, we own our own bodies and our own stuff. And no one else should be should be able to decide what we do with it. It's not moral in any, in any sense of the word. But as soon as we believe that there's a higher power in a, a god or a king or a president or whatever, then we're willing to do all sorts of atrocities to each other. And uh, I, I believe it's a very bad thing. And another, another theme to tie into the financial atheism, uh, like, as I laid out in the book, it's like, atheism to me is not a, a hundred percent belief in the, the idea that there is no God. It's just a lack of belief in gods. So, uh, it's not a belief in itself. It's the lack of belief. It's the lack of belief in things which aren't verifiable. Mm. So, Financial atheism is the lack of belief in value systems that aren't verifiable or like scarcity claims that aren't verifiable. So when a central bank says that use this currency, this krona or this uh, whatever, uh, euro or Finnish mark, whatever, whatever fiat currency they conjure up, they say this has value because we say it has value, but there is no telling how many there are in circulation it, it's it's a claim it's an ungrounded claim it's like a religious claim they claim uh, that this is powerful and you should believe it and that's what makes it powerful sort of right but 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 to me bitcoin is the opposite of that it's it's when you can verify every step of the process so so there's no there's no belief in a, in no supernatural force necessary all you need to do is 
study game theory, praxeology, and mathematics, and you can understand every step. You can understand Bitcoin every step of the way. Uh, at least how it functions technically. There, there's there's no mystery there. It's based on 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 facts. Yeah, uh, uh, and the the axioms it it derives its uh, foundation from is is solid are solid. Uh, the, uh, and another angle I thought of the other the other uh, month here is is that the 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 scarcity two things in the world are absolutely scarce your lifetime and your and your Bitcoin yeah they're absolutely scarce. So there's a perfect match there. If you don't believe in an afterlife, if you believe that the time you have on this earth is is the only thing you'll ever get, uh, and you believe that the the bitcoins that exist on this earth are are the only bitcoins you're ever going to get, then that's a perfect match. You can trade one for the other. That they they represent the same thing. They are time in that sense. They're human time. A bitcoin is is time. Yeah, the I would add to that that I, I think the same. Our time, obviously, is the most scarce and most valuable subjectively. But Bitcoin is objectively, if there's such a thing, uh, it's objectively scarce. Ob objectively, yeah. ab absolutely scarce, where, whereas time is only subjectively scarce to us. Obviously, it matters the most to us, and that's why people are willing to trade Bitcoin for time. Yeah, that's you you can view it like this like uh economics applies ap applies only to scarce resources if something is abundant you don't there's no, no trade is necessary like air for instance is everywhere so we don't charge a price for it or we can't force anyone else to pay for it because it's free and it's everywhere mm -hmm. uh uh air in a <laughs> in a scuba tank underwater is not abundant, and therefore a, a a flask of oxygen for a scuba diver has a price. Uh, now, where am I going with, with this? Uh, so, so, so stuff can be scarce from a subjective perspective, but time—if uh, we had unlimited time, if we had an infinite amount of time, and we knew that we were indestructible, we would never die, and we would live forever. There would, there would be no point in in producing stuff or trading stuff or whatever because we we wouldn't need to act if we had an unlimited amount of time. If we didn't need to act to survive, mm -hmm. uh, in other words, if time wasn't scarce, well, <laughs> there would be no need to do anything ever, and arguably people would be vegetables if we had an unlimited unlimited amount of time because there would be no need for you to act yeah. at all you <laughs> you could you might as well just wait until tomorrow or until 100 years from now or a billion years doesn't doesn't matter mm -hmm. because time if you have an infinite amount of time that takes away the motive that takes away away the value from everything yeah be because you might as well wait till tomorrow and since it isn't unlimited it's very limited. Your days are counted. The clock started ticking when you were born, and it's ticking fast. That makes life precious and valuable. And it enables you to, to attach meaning to life. 
uh, and you get to decide what that meaning is. And if you choose to outsource that meaning to a priest or a central banker or a politician, well, good for you. You, you missed your chance. The, the, this was not the rehearsal. This was the, sh the show. You missed it. Yeah. You, you have one shot. Life is not a rehearsal. It's the real deal. So either you do it now or, or, or forever be silent. I mean, that's it. You need the value of a, a scarce amount of time in order to, in order to live. Mm -hmm. yeah. I fully agree. And you know, the tragedy is that most people, uh, the regular people, normies, uh, the, a lot of them practically die at 25 and then they are buried at 85 maybe. And that's the tragedy of, you know, wasted human potential. Like, uh, I really, yeah. I really like the book by Julian Simon, the ultimate resource, which nicely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't read that yet, but I, I need to read that. Definitely. It's, it's a good book. Yeah. I, I love it. Uh, way before Bitcoin, uh, I saw the movie Papillon with Steve McQueen and, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Have you seen oh, that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a great movie. Uh, yeah. When he, uh, Steve, they, they get, they're imprisoned on, uh, the Salvation Islands in, uh, outside of, uh, South, uh, of, uh, French Guiana in South America. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, it had a great impact. We sailed there later on with a tall ship. So I visited those islands and I've seen the prison. Uh, and in the middle of the film, uh, when he's been in prison for like 15 years or something, he has a, a dream, a fever dream about crawling through a desert and in the middle of the desert, there's a jury, there's a grand jury. And he faces the jury and said, yeah, come on, let me go. You know that I'm innocent. I didn't do this crime that I'm in prison for. Uh, yes, but this was not the crime, uh, says the, 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 the judge. Uh, so what am I accused of? Says Steve McQueen, if I, if I remember this correctly. And then he, he stares him deep into the eyes and he stood uh, and he says, you, you're accused of a wasted life. And he bangs his little hammer. And, and that scene had such an impact on, on me. Like you're accused of a wasted life. Like that's, that's like the worst thing you can be accused of. Mm. If you, you had one shot and you didn't take it, you wasted it. You played PlayStation. Like, oh, I'm getting, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's chill <laughs> in, in my spine right now. Just thinking about that, you know, that's the final judgment <laughs> yeah. on your dead. No, no, yeah. Yes. But by this, I mean, it's, it's not about not playing PlayStation. And maybe that's a bad analogy because you have one life. You decide if you want to be a big shot and a big philosopher or a big businessman or a like successful entrepreneur or a great guitarist or whatever you want to be a great golfer for what all I know. But you can also choose to be a slacker all your life that just uh, cherishes the little moments and, uh, lives day by day and by the philosophy that you might, might get hit by a bus tomorrow. So you might as well enjoy it while you're here. And what I'm advocating for is make the conscious decision. Mm -hmm. You decide. Don't let anyone else decide that. Decide for yourself. What do you want to do with your days? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to spend them playing PlayStation? Yeah. Good for you. Go ahead, play PlayStation. But don't blame anyone else for the choice you made. You made that choice. The only thing standing in your way is your ego. 
trying trying to blame others. Yeah. You're the one making the choice at every single point of your life. Mm-hmm. Everything you ever did, everything that ever happened to you is your fault. That's the that's the truth that most people refuse to face. I think most people are looking yeah. for a freedom of responsibility, not the freedom in itself, because that freedom entails full responsibility of your actions. Yeah. The responsibility is the opposite side of the freedom coin. You can't have one without the other. You can't have responsibility without freedom, and you can't have freedom without responsibility. So that's that's what we have to face. I mean, everyone can have bad luck and get into an accident and have all their relatives killed in another accident, and all sorts of tragic things can happen to them that mess with their psyches. But, but when, during those moments when you don't have anything even remotely like that happened to you, and when you really just have time to waste, uh, make make the decision yourself. I mean, I had the thought the other day that time is time is for you to kill. You are the hunter on the prowl for time, and it's for you. It's your job to 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 shoot time and kill it in any way you want to and if you don't kill your time someone will come along and waste it and then you you'll have no time to kill hmm. <laughs> because it's stolen it's wasted yeah so either either you kill it or someone else wastes it that's very well put. if that makes any sense yeah, it does yeah. it does it does really and you may kill it. You may kill it in any way you want. You can kill it by putting a bullet into its head, uh, and basically smoke crystal meth for the rest of your days. Up to you. You can also kill it by being a cat and playing around with it. Play around with your time. Watch what happens if you play until you're 80 years old, <laughs> and then kill it. Yeah. It's like time is for you to kill, not for anyone else to kill. Right. Reclaim the driver's seat. Wow, this this talk is not about the book at all. <laughs> no, I, I, I think uh, it might be. Yeah, uh, if we take a little bit, a uh, couple steps back, we were talking about animals and and not getting them them dependent on handouts, basically. Yeah. Now in your book, you talk about something alluding to a digital animal that you know maybe Bitcoin is its own organism or. Uh, Something yeah. like that. I really like that idea. Legend. There's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, similar. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. So maybe maybe dive into that a little bit. Yeah. First of all, many many others that have written about this as well, and uh, and more thoroughly than I have. What what I basically did with that chapter is like look up a. Uh, the first of all, there's no real coherent definition of what life is. Uh, there are. Pop, more or less popular definitions of the word life. What what a, what constitutes a life form? There's no like rule book for what that implies. But if you look up the most common definitions of life, you can very easily draw parallels from that to how Bitcoin functions. So in a way, you can look at Bitcoin as a, a new life form, and I lay that out in the book. But since then, I have had even more thoughts about this. And the latest one is that if you, for instance, remember your seed phrase, so that, and you destroy all other, uh, places 
that the seed phrase is written on and like you destroy your private key and you keep it only in your head. If you die with that key uh, in your head, those Bitcoins are gone forever and taken off the market. So in other words, you are your Bitcoin. Mm. You're in a symbiotic relationship with this other life form. Uh, it thrives by, by, uh, you attaching value to it subjectively with your brain and you thrive by utilizing whatever it gives you, uh, uh, the superpowers it gives you that you can, you can disregard politics and walk across any state line with any amount in your head. You can, you can, you can share it with others, uh, or parts of it without being censored. You can, you can do all sorts of stuff with it, which, which you couldn't do without it. So, uh, uh, so the, the, the thing here is that you're in a symbiotic relationship with your Bitcoin. And I, I had a chat earlier today. Uh, I don't know if you were there uh, in a Twitter spaces. No, I wasn't. With uh, uh, Max Hildebrand was uh, Hildebrand was there, and we had a uh, uh, discussion about if dead people can hodl. <laughs> and like uh, his thesis is like, if you hodl and you die, uh, the value of those bitcoins don't really go to the rest of the network directly. Because implied in the in the fact that you were hodling them is the uh, uh, all you're doing as a conscious, if you're a conscious actor hodling, is that you're delaying your gratification and you will spend your Bitcoin at a at a later point. The Bitcoins themselves don't have any value attached to them except for the expectation of mm. you know spending them later on. But then if you die with them. My counter argument to that is like when you die with them, uh, the, the value of those Bitcoin gets distributed, uh, evenly across all other Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. So you benefit, everyone else benefits. And I, I'm leaning towards the idea that the increased value, the, all the other Bitcoins make all these people slightly ever so slightly more incentivized to spend their bitcoin at some point in time making the total sum of action uh, uh and investment coming out of those bitcoin the same as it was when when the hodler was still mm -hmm. alive but then you come to the really deep rabbit hole and if you take the thesis of uh, Bitcoin being in a symbiotic relationship with the uh, life form of a human being, uh, when you have them in your head, imagine, for instance, then Hal Finney, who was the first re re recipient of a Bitcoin transaction. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto first sent Bitcoins to Hal. So imagine now that Hal has some of those Bitcoins left. I don't believe seed phrases was a thing back then, but he could have remembered, th theoretically at least, he could have remembered his private key. Mm. So imagine he remembered his private key, stored it in his head, and then when he died, as you probably know, his head is cryogenically frozen. Yeah. Because he wants to resurrect his mind at some point in the future. What if in 400 years, we, re we find a way to resurrect Hal Finney, we unfreeze his head in a microwave oven or whatever, and he comes back to life with like a spider-shaped robotic uh, body, and he remembers his private key. 
so he can actually use those bitcoins that he uh, hodled for those 400 years. Then he can be dead and hodl at the same time. Yeah. How do you like that? I like it. I've been thinking about that a lot. And, uh, you know, I like, as you know, I, I also like to play devil's advocate on Twitter and, and talk about all these kind yeah. of uh, spiritual things and consciousness yeah. mostly. So, you know, we, we don't have any indication that this is the case, but we also don't know uh, what happens after death. Maybe we just return to the stream or whatever. And do we still have our memories? Do we still have our experiences? Do we still have those seed phrases? Yeah. So in that sense, I guess... Dead, dead men can hodl. At least I've, I've been, I've been saying, that. and I, I think I wrote about that also in my article of wielding Bitcoin. You know, like uh, yeah. it's not immensely. Yeah, I like that a lot. Oh, thanks. It's not immensely useful, in my opinion, to simply just hodl. Um, you know, because it's not very impressive. I mean, of course, congratulations, you're early, and, and uh, you get a piece of the absolutely scarce um, monetary value communication network. That's that's great. However. In my mind, I think Bitcoiners should be a little bit more ambitious. You know, you, you, you got into it yeah. for a reason. So wield it, you know, make it count, make, you know, build something. Yeah. That even, is worth even it if to take the, take the Bitcoin yeah. with you. Even if that, it, if, if that thing is like setting up a time lock so that parts of your Bitcoin will get inherited by your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren. I mean, you could time, you could time lock half of your Bitcoin for every halving. Uh, so that half of it gets unlocked before each halving. And if you, if you live under the assumption that they will double in price every four years, then each, each generation gets, uh, the exact same amount of purchasing power. Do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? Like, if you have the time lock, like doing halvings yeah. by itself, to, for for your children and grandchildren, yeah, it, you could easily see a a, a never ending pension plan for every every forthcoming generation. Yeah, it's generational wealth. Uh, you know, yeah, so that, that and that way you could you could hodl and wheel at the same time because you're you're doing something very very cool with it. Yeah, I think that's a really good example. You know, there's so many ways to actually wheel coin. That's you know, I'm actually writing a book about it with a well, with another Bitcoiner, and it's going to be more like a you know guidebook for you know, oh, the, the Bitcoiners, the remnant. Not not really. You know, it's it's for somebody who is already hodling, who already got in. All right. And uh, yeah, I'm really into learning about more about it myself and you know, putting the information out there. That is, in my mind, it's not simply enough that we hodl. We need to act in order to manifest the world that we all want to live in, where we want our, our children, our, our grandchildren to live in. That's the responsibility yeah. we have. Yeah. Yeah, hodling, hodling is using in a way, but it's also not using. Like, uh, we need to make <clears throat> investments, and Bitcoin is not an investment, it's something else. Uh, no. It has the pot potential for for giving you a lot in return in the future, but it still doesn't really count as as a productive investment to further mankind or even yourself. I mean, no, I mean, in a way, it's, like it's capital accumulation. Like That's you, you can it, make a case uh, that hodlers work for wielders, right? I mean, they provide. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they provide they the uh, hodlers of last resort, right? I mean, they they will yeah. buy every single 
uh, Bitcoin that you have for sale. So they do provide a certain kind of service. However, alone, they don't do much. Yeah, and <clears throat> here we come into the the, the fear of uh, Bitcoin being hoarded by the hodlers. <clears throat> and I think that cannot be the case because there will always be someone willing to sell their Bitcoins. Because if you have only hodlers, the price will go up to be infinitely high, theoretically. Mm. And in that case, people will demand to be paid in Bitcoin and you get the velocity out of necessity that way, because th there will be no other way to pay people than, than using Bitcoin. So sooner or later, they, they, you know what? We, we won't be able to sustain a population of only hodlers of last resort. No, that, no, that won't happen. Yeah. I don't think there's uh, any worry about that. My intention is more like to wake people up that don't get complacent with your hodl stack. I mean, it, it's cool if you want to save and stuff, but you know, it's even cooler if you can build something. So I have high respect for all the, all the builders in the scene. Yeah. Having said that, like, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to use your Bitcoin, but you could use your time for something productive, mm -hmm. which is basically the same thing. It's the same thing, right? So, Bitcoin is time. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin is what enables yeah. each and every one of us to own our time and do whatever we want with it. Yeah. So it doesn't and, and imply even if spending Bitcoin necessarily. No. And, and even if it doesn't like even function as a uh, financial airbag, whatever you may call it yet for you, it could still function as a uh, destroyer of mental barriers uh, to make you, to, to force you to kick yourself in the butt and actually do something. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe that that is what it has done for, for both me and you. Like we, we haven't necessarily spent that many Bitcoins ever. <laughs> we hodled them and we, we, we started building something without using our Bitcoins first and foremost. We started building something like you can trans, you can write a book and you can translate a book without using a single Bitcoin, mm -hmm. but you can't do it without sacrificing time. And if time is Bitcoin, you are spending those Bitcoin. Whoa. Yeah, circular I mean, yeah, argument it, here, but yeah. It, it is true because it is an opportunity cost, right? I mean, yeah. I could use my time to get a fiat job so I can stack more. And a lot of people do. That. Exactly. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. You know, it's just that I choose yeah. to use my time to build something that is going to survive the collapse and is going to thrive in the Bitcoin standard. That's my, yeah. my personal goal. You know, we'll see if the entrepreneurial risk and the opportunity cost pays off in the long run, which I believe it will. Excellent. All right. Uh, maybe we, we can wrap up, wrap up here. And, and I, I wanted to one more thing about the, you know, the digital animal thing and the homeostasis. So, um, yeah. you know, how, how in your mind, how do you see the homeostasis kind of like, I, I, this is kind of like the Nash equilibrium, right? Uh, in yeah. Bitcoin. How does that work? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, how do I put it in the book? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. To be honest, it's a while since I read it, but uh, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, it's like self-sustaining. It's a game that everybody, there's play, some players that this is how I, I wrote it out. That's one of my articles in Finnish, um, that, you know, there's a bunch of players, there's miners and there's, uh, there's users, there's hodlers, yeah. there's builders, there's, uh, developers, uh, all these players and also adversarial players, obviously. 
of the, uh, the central bankers, the regulators, the yeah. states. So there's kind of like this Mexican standoff in a way. Exactly. That nobody wants to make a wrong move uh, because it, it works and, and people uh, benefit from it. And if somebody is going to attack it or do uh, make a wrong move, they get eliminated from the game and yeah. it keeps going on. And this kind of like made me think, your book made uh, me think that, you know, does Bitcoin actually even need humans or is it just like, can it survive in this kind of like a home? Will it take care of itself, like regulate itself without or with humans? Just, you know, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it will, it will regulate itself, but, but Bitcoin is made up of humans. It's there, there's nothing else there. It's just humans communicating. Uh, the entire network is human beings communicating. We're, we're using tools to, to get better at the math required to, to, uh, to, to find the hash uh, that the difficulty adjustment has, uh, uh, has us all searching for, for, to find the price at the end of the rainbow, but it's still just communication. It's still just, math, just mathematics and code. And that's just speech. It's nothing else. It's just human. It's a human action, basically. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And human speech, human peaceful cooperation. And I, while I like the Mexican standoff, uh, analogy, uh, I, I like it because the picture I get in front, in my head is, of course, from Reservoir Dogs when the, the last yeah, scene of Reservoir yeah. Dogs when everyone is. But the thing is that that scene ends with everyone shooting each other and everyone dies. Right. Sort of. Uh, well, there's one survivor and he arguably dies anyway. Uh, uh, so, so there's, there's like in a Mexican standoff, there's, uh, uh there's a downside where th there's a risk involved where, where, where it all crumbles. And, it, and I, I think Bitcoin is much more anti-fragile than that. So, so say it's a, it's a Mexican standoff where everyone benefits from, uh, not shooting from, uh, yeah, a Mexican piñata standoff. <laughs> Uh, so everyone, everyone, uh, benefits for that. Like imagine a piñata that keeps on, keeps on, uh, delivering candy to everyone by, so everyone is incentivized to, 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 to give the piñata a hit everyone now and then. The thing is that the, the Bitcoin system gets more anti-fragile the, the more time that passes. A Mexican standoff is, is the opposite of that. It gets yeah. more risky the more time that passes. Yeah, that's true. So, so, so imagine, imagine a Mexican standoff in a universe where time runs backwards. Mm. <laughs> this is get, this <laughs> is getting, getting stupid, wild. But, yeah. Yeah, cool. I need to think yeah, about but, that. Yeah. But, but you, you see what I mean? Yeah. Like the, yeah, you're uh, right. You're, you're the, right. the time, the time factor is wrong in the Mexican standoff analogy. Because the time is on always on Bitcoin side. And this, that, that, that was yes. kind of like my point also that maybe, you know, in the Mexican standoff, the humans shoot each other. And then there's a machine race. There's an AI who can still use Bitcoin. Bitcoin is time and it exists and it has, it's just numbers. It has been existing. It was, uh, I think you alluded to this in your second book, you know, uh, it was a discovery rather than an invention, right? Yeah. I, I, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm onto that in the first book as well, but, but I, I flesh it out more in the second, but. Uh, I think this is, uh, the most important insight, uh, because if you, if you don't view it as a discovery, but as an invention, 
regardless of all the discussions about semantics around this, surrounding this. People call me stupid all the time for saying it's a discovery rather than an invention. But if you view it as a discovery, uh, you have, you've made yourself a shortcut to understanding its implications. Right. Uh, and, but we need to treat it as a discovery in order for it to work. Uh, in a way, uh, well, we don't need to do anything. It will work anyway because the game theoretical blah, blah, blah. It, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it, yeah, that's it's not point. that fragile. Right. That, that's the point. But, but the more, the more we realize about it, the, the more I think we, we come to the inevitable, inevitable conclusion that it was a discovery because why, like a wheel is arguably not a discovery, but an invention, but the circular shape, a circle, mm. that's a discovery, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's about the same thing with Bitcoin. The absolute scarcity part is the discovery mm -hmm. and the, the resistance to replicability, the, uh, the, the solution to the double spending problem. That's the discovery. And we build code around that and we decide, we design software around that and hardware around that. Those are inventions. They're not discoveries. Mm -hmm. They're inventions taking advantage of this discovery of how we can interact in a fair way. Uh, how we can express value to, to each other, uh, in a fair set under a specific set of rules that we all agree on. And that's the discovery, the, mm -hmm. the rule sets, the, mm -hmm. the, the way to, the way to interact with each other that leads to all of these other wonderful things. That's the discovery. The discovery is not Bitcoin. There's no such thing as a Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's non-existent. It's an abstract concept. It is a discovery. It, it only, it's only math. It's, it lives in an abstract realm. It cannot be an invention because it's, it's, it's not physical until you utilize the discovery to, to invent stuff around it. Does that make any sense? It does. I, I, I think in a way, what Satoshi did is uh, come up with the parameters and maybe invent the window through which uh, we could discover Bitcoin. Because I don't think um, necessarily Satoshi understood what he had discovered, yet he had the idea no, of no where one. to look for the window right, and build the window. Yeah. And only now, after a certain amount of time has passed, we start to see the discovery. More and more of us are waking up and looking through the window yeah. and discovering Bitcoin. And I think yeah, what you said, that wheel is an invention and the circular shape is the discovery. I think that's really, that's really uh, hitting the nail in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree with all the, all you said, because like uh, that, then again, we can't know what Satoshi thought about this thing. No, no one really knows, he, regardless of what he wrote and didn't write and when he wrote it and when, we cannot know the inner workings of his mind. We cannot know how much of this, how much of a 4D chess player he was. We don't know that. Mm -hmm. We know that he's a genius. We know, we don't know at what level of genius. A genius could be a 4D chess player genius as well. We don't know how, or, or he was just genius enough to put these things together. And luckily we stumbled on greatness yeah. afterwards and the beautiful thing is it doesn't really matter you know you know 
all honor to Satoshi Not in the least. for his inventions and, and coming up with this framework of, of discovery that enabled us to find, find, the, find the numbers that we call Bitcoins. Yeah. But yeah, like right now it's, uh, it starts to be a living organism of its own that lives its own life. And it's, it's more like uh, it's recruiting humans and maybe even some other races too into the game cause it can pay the players for playing. So the game just keeps going on as, as long as um, Bitcoin keeps paying the players in one way or yeah. another. Uh, I, I tweeted something the other day about a, a part of me wanting Sato if Satoshi came back that he was a Satanist. <laughs> Did you see that? No, I didn't just see to, that. Just, just in order to get more people to, to question their worldviews. But I'd, I'd like to flesh that out a bit more. Let's say Satoshi comes back and it turns out that he's a uh, team of the uh, 16-year-old lesbian environmentalist social justice warrior yeah. women that are uh, uh, like Satanist in the Muslim sense of the word, or something, something, something completely the opposite of who people thinks that this entity is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. You, just, I know. Just to, to just to have some worldviews shattered by, and and because the the beauty of this thing it's that it doesn't matter who invented like Pythagoras theorem works without Pythagoras. Mm -hmm. Pythagoras might be might have been an asshole. Who and who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter. His, contrib his contribution to mankind is important regardless of that. Yes, exactly. And so I so I'd like like like. <laughs> If Satoshi turns out to be a bunch of statists or whatever, like some adversarial to character to, to all the, to the mainstream, like, yeah, add vegan in there. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a vegan Satanist group of lesbian 16 year old environmentalist women, uh, identifying as, uh, something else. Right. <laughs> And socialist, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so uh, I couldn't have been a socialist. That 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 does not work in my world. <laughs> no, but it's interesting. Could have been all those other things. It, but, it's interesting, but all the like, socialists. It's, it's not. Uh, maybe it's not that far far fetched that maybe maybe Satoshi was a socialist because if you, I don't remember if Satoshi even talked about that himself. That if we explain Bitcoin correctly. It should appear to the, you know, the Marxist view, uh, something to that effect. And Bitcoin is the great equalizer. And let's pretend for a second that socialism is about equality, equality which is not. It's, uh, you know, equal outcomes don't exist and that it will destroy the realm of men. Yeah, yeah. We all know that. But bit, what Bitcoin provides is the level playing field, equal opportunity, which is, you know, fair, the fair standing point, a starting point for a yeah. free economy. A free market economy where from where we start to build. Yeah. And it's socialistic in the sense that it requires everyone in the men network to agree on the rules. Yeah. So, so in that sense, it has made a, uh, uh, maybe not socialist is never the correct word for anything good in society, but <laughs> say it as a syndicalistic society or something like that. Yeah. Anarcho. Syndicalistic. Yeah, I like the word syndicate. 
You know, I like to talk about startups yeah. organizations, and I think, uh, yeah, you know, in, in terms of the anti fragility and uh, decentralization, basically. So, uh, you know, what Bitcoin is is uh, DAO, basically, decentralized autonomous organization or organism. Mm. Uh, here we come into um, this is a funny territory to get into as well. Uh, I hate the word decentralization. Yeah, I know, <laughs> <laughs> but because it's. Uh, it's so misinterpreted. Uh, the yeah, I talked about this a lot before, but the, the main thesis here is that decentralization is unfortunately the means to a greater end. That greater end being resistance to replicability mm -hmm. and therefore absolute scarcity in a in a in an asset. And uh, censorship resistance. And censorship resistance. Yeah, yeah. That all all of those, uh, but. If we could have achieved that some other by some other means, that would have been preferable because decentralization is the only thing it is. It's expensive, and you get a lot of people disagreeing about a lot of stuff, and it's it's not very pleasant. But decentralization mm. and organizations should not be decentralized. That's that's a, a fallacy in itself. I think uh, communists believe that. The organizations who should be decentralized because you know the workers control of factories and all of this never works because no one is putting up the capital, no one has anything to lose. There's no skin in the game, and without skin in the game, you, there's no progress. People don't learn from their mistakes and so on. So you you tie it back to all of these <laughs> thoughts. It all boils down to human action, why we do things, and why property is the most important thing, and how we build capital. And we put our lives on the line in order to get greater rewards. And no one would do that if things were decentralized. Yeah. So that's, yeah, <laughs> in a nutshell, why why I don't like the word decentralized. No, that's, that's a reasonable so, position. Why why I like to yeah. talk about this because I call consensus network a starfish organization, which of course yeah, it's a, it's a it has a central point of failure. It has me as the, as the CEO as of now. Perhaps one day we can change that. However, the point is more like um, distribution of certain responsibilities that come with entrepreneurship, right? Equity and, and work. And, you know, the way we work is basically the company itself is just me, but we have like more than 50 people working on the projects. So the projects themselves are kind of like these small starfish that are, you know, they don't necessarily need me. The work is there, theirs. They have done the work. They have all the files. So if something happened to me yeah. or the company, you know, those work will, would still be there. So in that way, of course, there's a, elements of centralization because we're still living in the fiat clown world where you do need some kind of a spider organization to, to make it look good and to, to be able to deal with other fiat companies. But I think this is something that we're moving away from uh, in, in the fiat, uh, in the Bitcoin standard. I wouldn't call that decentralized. Uh, I wouldn't call that just cooperation. Yeah. Well, I don't call it's, it decentralized it's, either. I, I call, call so it the starfish it's, organization. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a better term. Uh, it's just people cooperating with each other, yeah. basically. Yeah, just and like engaging, engaging in free trade. Yep. And but that means there is a hierarchy. There, at every level in that organization, there's a hierarchy. There are people making trade-offs with themselves and with with others all the time. Shall I focus on? Uh, editing chapter five here, or should I focus on writing my own book? And I need to make the trade-off all the time. There's always a value hierarchy in all the minds of all the people in this organization. Right. So, 
So, uh, so they're, they're looking at it as a topography of some sort instead of a flatline decentralized mm-hmm. thing. There's, uh, you can't escape the value hierarchies because they're in each and every one of uh, our minds. Uh, we all have them inside us. Uh, of it's, course. It's nothing. I, I don't think yeah. decentralization implies not having hierarchies. I think hierarchies are obvious. Then what is it? Yeah, that's a good question. What is decentralization? I would say distributed is a better word in that sense, because decentralized means there's no center point, And that's like, well, who makes the decisions then? Right. There needs to be a final decision maker. It doesn't happen by itself. It can't. But there isn't one in Bitcoin. No, but in consensus network, there's a final decision maker. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't want the, you know, like, at least for now, like, you know, look, it's, it's good to have goals, right? I don't know if it's ever going to be successful. It's very immensely difficult to launch anything decentralized. Like what Satoshi did is I think it's, uh, maybe a one time thing, but that doesn't take any, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of value in taking a lot of elements from that. And sure, nothing is perfect. What I'm merely saying is that we can be way more anti-fragile. We can be way more free and we can use, uh, you know, yeah. specialization and cooperation in, in much yeah. more efficient ways, not necessarily in a fast way, like a spider organization where it's very easy when the, you know, there's a chain of command but the, and okay, as a captain. I need you, to reply for this. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Because what you're describing is a functioning free market. It's, it's not, we're so used to, to these large corporations with some big fat boss on top that decides for everyone. And like the workers on the floor of McDonald's being paid way too little and the stress, uh, working in a very stressful environment. And then there's some suits on the top making all the money. But this is, these are how organizations in the fiat clown world in, in a free market ex- economy. What you're describing is what happens. Mm-hmm. That's it's voluntary interaction through free trade in every step of the way. And it's not decentralized. It's hierarchical, but in a much fairer way. Like you, you still have the power to say no to every, to everything. Either a contract, uh, is broken or it's not broken. It's, it's like on a much more primal level, if you will, or like a much more basic level of how capitalism is supposed to work. Uh, because we can, we can do that in Bitcoin because we haven't, there's no interventionism there. Mm -hmm. There's no one to stop us from cooperating with each other. Yeah. And, and this is what you get. You get a sweet community of sweet people voluntarily interacting with each other to help the greater cause. And there's. It's so beautiful to see it play out because there's no uh, workers control of factories or decentralization or whatever you may call it at play here. It's it, it's the organic distributing of uh, the, the organic distribution of talent mm. because of the free markets uh, mechanics of the free market. So that's why I say I detest the word decentralization because the only use case I see for, for each and every node having the exact same voting power, if you will, is to ensure that, that the double spending problem is solved and that you don't have, uh, and that you, 
in turn have this resistance to replicability and censorship resistance and all of these things yeah. that make Bitcoin beautiful. That's the only use case. Yeah, it's true. The, the, the other thing that people are talking about, it's just a functioning free market. And a matter, that's a meritocracy. And it's like everyone focusing on what they do best. And you have Ricardo's law at play and the utilizing the full potential of the division of labor. Mm. That's what it is. Yeah, I agree. Not decentralization. All right. Oh, yeah. Too many words, too little time. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Well, I've, I've uh, enjoyed our talk immensely. And uh, it was the first yeah. one, by the way, of the author cast that okay. we made. So uh, it's kind of an experimental format. What do you think about it? Yeah, I, I uh, the the more time that passes since I wrote the book, the less I know about the book and the less I can identify with the ideas in the book. Yeah, that's because you know, as, as unless the same thing happens for all the music I made in the past and everything. I mean, every cell in your brain is like renewed at some point. You have an entirely new brain. <laughs> After 25 years or mm. something, every single cell is replaced by a new cell. So you can say that you're a different organism. It's kind of like, you know, the analogy of the ship just having one plank left from the original and boat. all the rest is. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, it's hard for me to talk about the book without like segueing into what I'm thinking now about these subjects because I try not to get like boxed in by whatever I've done before, but being able to question everything, everything I've written like before is like... You have a beautiful mind, so it's, it's always a pleasure to listen to you talk and, and read Thank your you. writings as well. Thank you. And uh, I I, uh, I really enjoyed this talk because, uh, yeah, uh, it really gave me a, a, a platform to, to flesh out some of these more recent ideas. That's excellent. And that was uh, also... Yeah, and I, the, I love it. Uh, cool. Yeah. And I'd love to do some more of these because uh, that I'm learning as much as you do while doing these things myself because it forces me to think harder about yeah. things. Well, let's definitely do another one for your for a second book, and then once you get your third book on the on the way, we can maybe talk about that as well. Yeah, and I'm gonna need a lot of help with that, with distributing it and uh, translating it and editing yeah, it and everything. And, uh, when when the time come, comes, uh, I think we should put it put together a little team and do something with it. For sure. So Looking forward um, to that very much. Me too. Any closing remarks and uh, tell everybody where, where they can find you, where they can read your writings? Well, you can find, find translations of my writings on the Consensus Network <laughs> uh, at uh, their website, which is www.consensusnetwork.com, right? No, it's consensus.network, actually. Yeah, consensus.network. Yeah. Remember that wrong, but, uh, it, it's all there in Finnish and German still, I believe. Uh, right. German is not by us. It's the apricot. No, media. no it's a apricot media. So I thought they were in the same places. Oh, okay. I don't know anything. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you, you find uh, a lot of other Bitcoin books there as well. So, so make sure to check them out. My stuff. Is mainly on Twitter. That's my main Bitcoin channel at Knut Swanholm on Twitter. I do have a Patreon. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what I'm supposed to do with it, but there is one if you want to support me. I also accept like lightning payments over Telegram and stuff. <laughs> so I have a Telegram channel, uh, 
I'm at Knutsuan on there, and there's a Telegram channel for my stuff. Um, there's my author page, author's page on Amazon. Uh, you'll find my books there as well, most of them. I think that page links to the Finnish translations and everything as well. Great. Uh, um, so, uh, yeah, that's mainly it. And uh, my DMs are open, so feel free to ask me anything. I'm trying to do these Twitter spaces every now and then. Uh, anyone who wants to join those is very welcome. And uh, I'll try to provide as much gibberish as I can. <laughs> Yeah, keep keep at it, and uh, yeah, anybody. Uh, thank you for the for the listeners and watchers, and leave those likes and uh, sign up, uh, pressing the bell button if you want to be notified when we get uh, more of these author casts out. We're gonna do with all of our authors at some point. And if you like Newt's work, please do support him and buy his books. And if you want his books translated in your language, you know, don't be shy. Send us a message info at consensus network and. You know, we'll we'll get right to it. Currently, we've grown quite a bit. Like 2019, we started with just one book, the Finnish Bitcoin Standard. Now we're working on, I think, more than 20 books across dozen languages. So it's been a wild ride, and it's getting more and more crazy. So uh, if you're into this, if you want to contribute, if you want to wield your time or wield your Bitcoin, uh, get in contact, get in touch with us, and we'll keep rocking. Thank you, Knut. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Uh, see you next time. See you next time. Mm-hmm.